Um, my happy place, apart from looking at the stars, is the sea. It's funny, when um, Elizabeth and I got married, I don't know whether any of you have done this if you're married, but we wrote down a wish list of things that we wanted in our house, wherever we were going to move. And the one thing I had on my wish list was to be able to see the sea. I know it's a little bit weird. But strangely, in the five or six, six places that we've moved, and it's never been intentional, but it's always worked out this way, we've been able to see the sea, even if it's just a tiny sliver of the Mersey or just a little bit of, of water, we've been able to see the sea where, wherever we go. And I love the sea. I love being in the sea. I love looking at the sea. I love listening to the sea. I love seagulls because they start with sea and they sound uh, like the sea when you hear them uh, squawking outside. I love them. And I, 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 um, whenever we go on holiday, I always try and get out and do a bit of surfing unsuccessfully. Um, uh, but I always try and get out in the water because I love just being in the water. And if you've ever been surfing, Harriet, you've done this, haven't you? Anyone else been surfing? Tried it? Um, so a few of us have tried it. And it's this, this lovely moment when you're surfing, when you get out beyond the breakers and you kind of uh, swim, paddle past uh, the other uh, surfers and you get to a point where you're the last one, you're the last surfer. And when you look out across the sea, all you can see is sea. It's a beautiful moment. And if you get like the, the swell right, even if you look behind you, it just looks like you're surrounded by the ocean. Something beautiful in that moment. For me, uh, maybe not for you, but for me, there's just a feeling of, of smallness, you know what I mean? When you look out to the sea and all you can see is just ocean and sea, there's a feeling of, oh, I'm, I'm tiny. That feeling when you look out and right to the horizon, all you can see is the ocean. The interesting thing is when you see that, when you look out and all of your vision is just sea, Actually, there is more sea that you cannot see than what you can see. Does that make sense? There's more ocean that we can't see than what we can see when we look out. And folks, that is going to be so helpful for us as we move through on this last part of the story this week. Because it's the same in our suffering. And especially when we think of God's purposes. Quite often when we're struggling, when we're in in times of suffering, when we're struggling with anxiety, depression, when there's a storm of life coming and descending over us. Quite often we we will stop and we will think, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing? But I want to tell us this this morning. In the midst of our suffering, there is infinitely more that God is doing in that moment than what we can see. We may be able to see a little bit of what he's doing. But just like when we look at the ocean and there is more of the ocean that we can't see than what we can see, it is the same in our suffering. There is more that he is doing that we can't see than what we can see. And this is why it gives us great hope, because it means that he is doing something. Matt just said that to us. God is always doing something in the midst of our suffering. Romans 8, 28. It is a verse that many of us commit to memory. God is always at work for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his purposes. God is always at work in the midst of our pain, always at work in the midst of our suffering. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this Psalm 56, verse 8. You have kept count of my turnings, you have put my tears in a bottle. Wow. You know what the psalmist is saying there? There is not one tear that you have shed or tried to shed. There's not one moment of suffering that you have experienced that God has not seen and he will not use. And if we can trust, folks, 
If we can trust that God has a great purpose in our suffering, then there is great peace for us to be had. There is great joy for us to have. There is great rest for us to have, even in the midst of our storms. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 to 41. We're so familiar with this story. If you've been with us the last three or four weeks, we're going to read it for one last time. We're actually going to flip in between a few other bits as well. We're going to be in Mark 5 and Mark 6. But I want us just to hear the story for one last time. Let me read it to us. On that day when evening had come. This is talking about Jesus. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey? This is our last look at the story, folks. We've seen that Jesus is present in the storm. He is speaking in the storm through his word. We saw last week that he brings us into his body so that we can suffer together in the storm. And this last week, this is what we see, that we can trust that Jesus has a great purpose in our storm. And folks, we've just got 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, just to, just to dive in a little bit. And all we're going to see is five purposes. Five purposes out of what I would like to say are probably millions of purposes that God has in our storms. Five purposes, five things that God is absolutely accomplishing for you in the storms of life. And this is the first thing that we see. God is making us see his son. That's what he's doing in our storms. He's making us see his son. I don't know when you've been reading this story and you've seen the disciples, whether you relate to them like I do, but I'm so thankful to God for these disciples. Like they just don't get it. They're so ignorant to the presence of Jesus. Like they've been traveling with him. They've seen his miracles. They've seen his power. They've seen his authority. But for so long, they just remain so ignorant to who he is. And unfortunately for them, we get to the end of chapter four. We think, oh, maybe they get it a little bit, but it doesn't get any better. Fast forward to uh, Mark chapter 6. We're not going to read it, but in Mark chapter 6, you see they're out on a boat again. Calm in the storm, part 2. You think, all right, maybe they get it by now. Uh, They've just witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know that story, right, where where Jesus has been teaching the crowds gather. They're hungry. They've got no food. And so Jesus miraculously uh, makes enough food for at least 5,000 people just out of a few loaves and a few fish. They've seen Jesus' authority. They've already seen him calm the wind and the waves. Now they see him feeding the 5,000, and now they get into a boat. They're crossing the lake again. This time Jesus isn't with them in Mark chapter 6. This time Jesus is on the mountainside praying. He leaves them too. And so they get into the boat and presumably it's calm again as they set off. They get into the middle of the lake and lo and behold, a storm comes again. Like this sounds familiar. The winds whip up. You read in John's account in John chapter 6 that they're battling against this storm for hours. And they're getting nowhere. Probably full of fear again. Jesus comes to the shore of the lake and he looks out and he sees them battling against the storm. And so he walks out to meet them. 
walks on the water to meet him. So just stop there for a minute. Like someone just, a man just walked on, on the water to meet him. Like that is not normal. So, so again, we see Jesus' power. We see his authority, him walking out to meet them. And when he gets there, when he arrives at the boat, like we think we know what's going to happen. If you've not read this story before, you can probably write what's going to happen next. He's going to rebuke the wind and the waves, right? Because that's what he does. But he doesn't. Look down at verse 48 of chapter 6. Immediately he made, sorry, uh, that's 45. Uh, um, he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And then listen to this. He meant to pass by them. He meant to pass by them. So Jesus walks out to meet them. We expect him to maybe rebuke the wind and the waves or, or, or do something to stop it, but he intended to walk right by them. You ever notice that in the account? He arrives and we think we know what he's going to do, but he doesn't do it. Now Jesus is God. He could have just shouted from the shore and rebuked the wind and the waves and stopped them there, but he didn't. He could have walked to the boat and got in with the boat and, and sorted things out there, and he didn't. He could have stopped the storm from even happening. But he didn't. It's really strange. Mark says he intends just to walk right past them. Why didn't he just stop the storm? Because in that instance, in their storm, Jesus had a greater purpose. Jesus wanted to reveal his character to his disciples. Verse 49, the disciples see Jesus walk past, but they don't see that it's him. What do they think it is? A ghost. Correct. They think it's a ghost walking past. They don't recognize it's Jesus. And, and Jesus goes to pass them by. And we think, that's such a strange thing. Like, why does Jesus not stop? Like, why does he think he's just going to walk by them? Does he, not, does he not see that they're there? Is he just ignoring them and just thinking, well, I'll get to the other side on my own. I don't need to get in the boat. No, something profound going on here. Remember, the disciples are Jewish men. They knew their Old Testament really well. They knew particularly the Exodus story really well. In the Exodus story, you get a few spectacular, in fact, the whole story is spectacular. But a couple of spectacular moments in particular, Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 34. In those two instances, here's what happens. God reveals himself, in particular to Moses. God reveals himself to Moses. And this is exactly what the text says in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. When God reveals himself to Moses, he passes Moses by. He passes Moses by. He reveals himself to Moses and he says that, that I am. That's how he describes himself. God says, I am. And he passes Moses by. It happens again in 1 Kings chapter 19 to Elijah. God reveals himself to Elijah and the text says in chapter 19 that he passes Elijah by. The I am reveals himself by passing by these two men. See what Jesus is doing with the disciples in this moment? He's not ignoring them. He hasn't kind of missed them and is carrying on walking. He's showing them it's me, guys. I am is here. He's revealing himself to be God and he's saying, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am is here. If you haven't seen it already with, with, me, with me feeding 5,000 people, if you haven't seen it already with me rebuking the wind and the waves, see it now. The same one that passed in front of Moses, the same one that passed in front of Elijah is passing by you now. 
And guess what? In verse, um, in verse 50, when Jesus says to them, take heart, it is I. Guess what that is translated as? I am. Jesus passes them by and says, it's me. I am is here. And you'd think this would be a light bulb moment for the disciples. You'd think they'd be like, oh, we get it. This is God. Look down at verse 51. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. What does Mark mean? When they saw Jesus feeding the 5,000, they thought that was just about taking the hunger away from people. Jesus was showing them that he is God. God wants us to see more of his son, folks. To see him as God. Because when we see Jesus as God, we will realize that we are not. And that is a good thing. It is good when we realize that we are not God because at that point we will put our trust in someone else. And that someone else should be Jesus. In our storms, God is making us see his son. He's also making us more like Jesus. The gospel is the greatest story the universe has ever seen or heard. God sends his son. Jesus comes and lives amongst us. Lives a perfect life. Lives without sin. And Jesus Christ, the only sinless man, dies on a cross, taking our sin, absorbing the wrath of the Father, taking our punishment from God, and then he rises again three days later. He transforms his people by giving them new hearts, by giving them his Holy Spirit. And he promises them another transformation, an eternal transformation when we will leave this broken world and we will be with him and his new creation. The gospel transforms God's people, but not just at the cross and not just in eternity. It transforms us now. Every day it's transforming us. Until we are free of this body, folks, we will continue to struggle with sin. And because that is true, God will continually change us. Every day, God has changed us to be more like his son, Jesus. That's what sanctification means. God has changed us to be more like his son, Jesus. And here's the great thing. It is often in our storms that that process happens the fastest. It is often in the midst of our struggles that we are changed the fastest. So just to help me out here, I need some of you kids to come to the front to just help me out for a minute. I need three of you young ones. Um, don't you need to be scared of your dad? I'm not going to do anything. Gideon, Gideon, could you come up and give me a hand? Micah, Ruthie, don't make me get the adults up. Thank you, Gid. Karis, do you want to help? Right, good man. Right, Gideon, can you come and stand here for me? One more. Oh, Titus, you'll do. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Right. Gideon, can you hold that water for me? Micah or Ruthie, I need you. Um, Micah, come on, bud. Where is... Has anyone seen a, um, a tablecloth? Because we're going to need it in a minute. Right. Titus. Yeah, he's there. You stand next to, to your brother Gideon. Right. Um, we wouldn't usually condone this kind of behaviour. But Titus, I'd really like you to push Gideon as hard as you can. Go on, give him, give him a big push. Can you push your brother... It is your brother. Can you push him? Give him a big push. A bit harder. Keep pushing him. Harder. Harder. No, try it again. This isn't working. Give him a big, big, big push. Keep going. All right, let's do this other way around. Right, Titus, you hold that. Can you hold the water? Two hands. Give him a big push, Gideon. Go on, big push. Push him. It's all right. Daddy won't tell you off. 
Oh, he's done it on his own. That's all right. He spills it on his own. That'll do. All right. Well done, boys. Right, Mikey, your job. Clean that up for me, mate. Big Prince Gideon, off you go. Thanks, Titus. Off you go. Good boy. Don't ever do that again. Right. Okay, here we go. That didn't go as planned at all. But, question, adults. Thank you, son. What a good boy. Um, why did the water end up on the floor? Oh, look at you. You're all too scared. It's okay. You can, you can talk to me. Why did the water end up on the floor? Thank you, Andrew. Because one of the brothers pushed the other brother. Kind of correct. Why was the water on the floor? Because there was water in the glass. Thanks, Andy, for complying with my illustration. That was really helpful. The reason there's water on the floor is because there was water in the glass. Folks, in the midst of our struggles and the midst of our storms, here's what happens. We get angry. We get frustrated. We get impatient. Some of us withdraw and we get apathetic. Here's what happens in our storms, folks. We sin. Does the storm create our sin? No. The reason there was water on the floor is because there was already water in the glass. And the circumstances just made that water spill out. You get what I'm saying? In our storms, the reason that we sin isn't because there is a storm. It's because there is sin within us already. The storm doesn't create the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart is sinful. And the storms are just the theatre on which our sin plays out. And let me tell you now, that is the grace of God in exposing your sin in that moment. The great purpose of God in our storms is to make us more like Jesus. God will use our storms to expose our sin because he is heaven bent on us sharing in the joy and the peace and the rest that comes with being more like his son. And that is what every Christian wants, right? Don't we all want to be like Jesus? And that is the work that God is doing us day by day, conforming us into the image of the Son. And so let me tell you this, and let me ask you this, where there is pain, where there is struggle, where there is anxiety, where there is depression, trust that God is at work. And ask him, specifically ask him to reveal to you your sin. Ask him to change your heart. Confess of that sin, repent of that sin. Ask him to change you, to make you more like his son. God has a purpose in our storms, folks. Next thing we see is that he is making us depend on on him more. Each of these storms that the disciples find themselves in are opportunities for them to be reminded of their utter dependence on Jesus. And that is a good thing. It is a good thing to depend on God because he is the only one who really knows what we need. Remember from our catechism, he is the great creator. He creates everything. And because he is our creator, there is no one, no one in this universe who knows better what you need than him. He knows what we need and he wants us to ask of him. So in our physical, in our mental, in our emotional weakness, these are all opportunities for God to show his power in our lives, for him to bring us hope, for him to bring us joy, and for him to bring us peace, even in the worst of situations. So trust him. A great purpose in our storm is that we will grow to trust him, depend on him more. And don't just do that when the storm hits. Trust him daily. Think back to the Exodus again. 
What do they want? They want food enough for the week. Give us enough food for the month, God. And God says, no, I will give you enough. How much? For the day. Gives them enough to eat just for the day. Why? Because he wants them to depend on him each day. So folks, if tomorrow looks uncertain, that's okay. God has enough for you tomorrow, even if you cannot see it today. Trust in him. Trust in the most dependable resource in the universe. Even if you have weak faith, that's okay, because what matters is the object of your faith. Here's the next thing that we see. God's purpose in our suffering, he is making us long for eternity. I can get away with medical illustrations at the moment because Ella's not here. Is she on? Johnny, is she watching? Yeah. Oh, no. She's, it's okay. So she's watching on Facebook from, um, from the Gambia, but she can't get to me because she's thousands of miles away, so I'm going to get away with this. Um, Dr. Paul Brand, who most of us will never have heard of, uh, was a, a doctor, an American doctor, who revolutionized uh, the care for uh, leprosy. Anyone heard of him? No. Oh, Helen. Helen. So I might not get away with it, but we'll see. Um, uh, he uh, was, was renowned for spending his life with lepers. If you don't know what leprosy is, it's a horrific disease that basically destroys the nervous system. And quite often when you see a leper, they're covered in ulcers, covered in open wounds and open sores. And that eventually leads to decay of the body and eventually for many, unfortunately, death. It had been thought for a long time that the reason that the lepers would get these sores and get these ulcers was a, a direct relation to the disease. So the disease uh, kind of made these people have these sores and made them have these ulcers. But the more that Dr. Brand spent time with these people, the more he began to change the opinion. He spent time in Africa and he'd see things like this. Uh, people uh, making uh, their dinner and boiling a pot of vegetables. You can see where this is going. Now, most of us, when we boil potatoes or boil whatever, carrots, whatever, uh, we will boil it in a pan of, of boiling hot water and we will get a spoon out or we will drain the water out and we will retrieve our vegetables that way, correct? Uh, not the lepers. This is what he saw. They would boil a pan of potatoes. And just like it, uh, nothing else mattered, they would put their hand into the boiling pan of potatoes and pull the potatoes out and not even flinch. Uh, another occasion which really helped change the opinion was this. He was uh, working in a leprosy clinic and he was struggling to get into the door of his, into the, into his, um, into his office. He was struggling to get his key to turn in the door. And a little 10-year-old boy walks past a, a leprosy patient and he says, oh, could I help you, uh, Dr. Brands? Who says, okay, you can give it a go. I can't open it. A grown man can't open this door. This little 10-year-old boy is not going to be able to do it. Uh, he grabs the key, the little boy, and turns it as hard as he can and lo and behold, the door opens. Well, Dr. Brand is astounded. The boy walks off and he's thinking, how on earth has he been able to do that when I couldn't? Until he sees drops of blood on the floor and he calls the boy back, looks at his hand and his hand is split open to the bone. The boy didn't even realise. Here's what he quickly came to realise the more time he spent with them. It wasn't that leprosy was making these people have wounds. It was their inability to feel pain that was making them have the wounds. Their inability to feel pain was, was causing them to overexert themselves and doing things that their bodies weren't designed to do or to put them place, in places of danger where, where they just shouldn't be. It wasn't that the leprosy was causing those open sores. It was them not being able to feel pain 
in the slightest. He was asked, what would you give to a leper if you could? He said, the greatest gift that I could give to any leper would be the gift of pain so that they could feel. Pain sends a warning shot to the brain to withdraw. And in the same way, pain and suffering send a warning shot to our souls, folks, to tell us something is not right. Something is out of whack here. Something is not right. And Christians, let me tell you, let me remind you, this world is not our home. When we experience suffering, when we experience pain, this pandemic should be crying out to us. This is not how it should be. This is not our home. It should not be like this. The problem is, as Christians, and I do this so often, we get so comfortable with living here. And we think this is just going to be it for eternity. We're going to live here. And we bed down and we think that this is, this is our home when it's not. One of the purposes in our storm that God is doing is reminding us that this is not as good as it gets, folks. He has something infinitely better for us. Infinitely greater waiting for us. Because Jesus has removed the divide and wall between us and God. His people enter into his presence for all eternity. And when we do, our bodies will experience no more pain. Our bodies will experience no more suffering. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more depression. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death on that day. And so we should lift our eyes to that day, folks. And we can lift our eyes to that day, to an eternal day, with confidence. Not in fear of death but with a joyful longing, trusting that a day is coming that we will be with our God forever. And on that day, he will wipe away every tear. And we will live with him in perfect peace and joy. In our suffering, God is lifting our gaze to eternity. Here's the final thing that we see. In our suffering, God is equipping us for his mission. So if you read Mark chapter 4 in isolation, you might think that the story is all about the storm. And in a way, it is about the storm, but that is only part of the story. Zoom out a little bit. Andy mentioned this before. You get to chapter 5. When you get to chapter 5, you remember the reason that they're in the boat. Remember a few weeks back, the reason they get in the boat is because Jesus wants them to get to the other side. And when they do in chapter 5, when they get to the other side of the lake in chapter 5... Jesus shows his great compassion, shows his great power and his great mercy as he delivers a man who's possessed with demons. And the disciples are watching it all. Jesus doesn't just want to reveal himself to the disciples, but he wants to reveal himself to the whole world. That is his mission. And he is using every incident, every Every circumstance along the way to equip his disciples, to train his disciples and to prepare his disciples to join with him in that great mission. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been brought into that same mission to show Jesus to the world. That is why you live and that is why you breathe. And the storms do not change that. The storms don't, don't, don't hit a pause button on the mission. The mission continues. We never stop being missionaries. In fact, our storms often become the best place that we can reveal God to those around us. Let me finish with this story about a man called John Wesley. A lot of you will have heard of him. He was one of the founders of the Methodist movement. He was a a great hymn writer. And what you might not know about John Wesley is this. 
He actually thought he was a Christian before he actually was a Christian. He knew a lot about God. He used to go around preaching in churches before he was a Christian. He wrote some of his songs before he was a Christian. He gave away a lot of his possessions to the poor before he was a Christian. He sold a lot of his goods and bought a ticket to go over to Georgia in America to share the gospel with unbelievers before he was even saved. On this journey, he's on a boat crossing the Atlantic and a storm um, uh, starts hammering against this ship. It's that bad he thinks he's going to die. He's filled with fear. He doesn't know what to do. He catches a glimpse of some missionaries, Moravian brethren missionaries. And while he's losing it and he's thinking he's going to die and he doesn't know what to do, they are sat together praying. The ship's going everywhere. The waves are coming in. It looks like they're headed towards certain death. And these men are sat down together praying. And they are a picture of peace. And they are praying like death didn't matter to them. Wesley quickly came to realise that what he had was religion, not Jesus. But these men had a real faith in Jesus. And at that moment, moment, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He put his faith in a person, not not in a book, not in some intellectual knowledge. He put his faith in Jesus Christ and that changed everything for him. What was it that made him see Jesus? Those men. Faith and the hope and the peace that these Moravian missionaries had in Jesus Christ changed everything for John Wesley. And we will sit and, not at the moment, but usually we'll sit and sing some of his hymns as a result of their witness to him. As we close, let me remind us this. Our storms are never about just us. There is a world around us who have no hope and Jesus is determined to show himself to them. And more often than not, he will show them through the supernatural hope that his people have in the midst of their suffering. So if you are there now, if you are suffering, if you are in crisis, if you are in pain, remember that the storm is not the point. God is revealing himself to you. God is changing you. He is lifting your eyes to eternity. He is strengthening you, equipping you and using you for his great and glorious mission reveal himself to the world our storms can be brutal but God will not waste one wave that crosses over us so trust him trust that he more than anyone else knows what we need trust that he knows what he's doing trust that he has a beautiful purpose for every drop of pain every ounce of suffering every emotional struggle that we will experience because when we do we will find great rest great joy and peace for our weary souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We recognise now that it is in him and in him alone that we will find the hope that we need. And so now as we hear these songs being sung, as we hear your word being read, I was to fix our eyes on him. I was to be filled with hope. And help us to find rest. Give us peace, Father, by your Son, through your Spirit. Bring us to a place of clarity, a place of conviction, a place of belief, and a place of worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.